There's no better example of that probably in the whole Bible than, um, than the woman at the well. And so I was thinking about what kind of person God uses. I was struck with the fact last week that he uses people who are honest, honest with themselves, honest with others, and then more importantly than that even, just being honest with God. So whether you understand this or not, you've come into the room today thinking, well, Sunday I go to church, and so this is what I do, not realizing that God had a divine appointment for you to be here today, to meet him, the great deliverer. Because otherwise we, we go to church for no reason whatsoever. If we can make it on our own, we might as well stay home. 50,000 primarily young people this week met in Atlanta for the Passion Conference, which Louis Giglio started several years ago. It was primarily to, to get the millennials, the young people, back to God, and to get them to focus on things that mattered. I kind of blew it off. Um, in the past, I know that he's been really close with, with certain uh, Christian musicians, and it just seems so rote and routine to me. But last night as I was studying on the kitchen counter all night long, trying to think through exactly what God would want me to say today, I, I, um, I thought, I, I think I'll use that video again. Uh, what's her face? I can't even remember her name. Carrie, An Carrie Underwood, who won American Idol in one of the first years and sang that song, There's Something in the Water. And so I, I typed in Something in the Water, Carrie Underwood, and I played the version that is it's quite sensual in the way they're dressed in the water and doing their choreography. And so I thought, I really don't want to use that because I don't want to lose the focus of what she's singing. But then I noticed over on the side, it showed Carrie Underwood singing Something in the Water at the Passion Conference last week. It was a brand new video that they just put up. And it reminded me of her roots in the church in the gospel, as, as is the case with so many people that grew up in the South going to Southern Baptist churches and then ended up singing in the choir or singing in special groups, that kind of thing, and came out of that looking for something. And what I saw in the difference in the two videos, the one in her video where she's dancing with all these dancers behind her in that water, and it's very cool, but what I saw was a difference in Carrie Underwood singing at the Passion Conference because she knew that God was stirring the water. See, it wasn't just sensual water. It wasn't just water from the world. It was the water of the word of God. Put to music is powerful. So I thought we should just look at this this morning because I could see joy in her face among 50,000 millennials with multiple musicians in this, in this great arena singing for God.
We actually played that during uh, practice today because I thought that was a powerful song. It's okay, we don't have to show it. Um, my point is, something drew Carrie Underwood to go back to her roots. And I'm reminded of my text for this morning, which I've, I actually have preached this in the last year, but I wanted to look at a different angle on this text this morning. It's found in John chapter 4, and it says this, Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, and it was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I give them will never thirst Indeed, the water that I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. I look at the text this morning and I think to myself, it's pretty interesting because there's a lot of historical significance in the text itself. As you know, because we've talked about this before, Jesus had a lot of obstacles when it came to going through Samaria all by itself with his disciples, and I'm sure there was some discussion about why would we want to go through Samaria when the typical trip for a devout Jew is to make a left turn and go around Samaria because the Samaritans, after the Assyrians had taken over, co-bred with Gentiles and became what would be considered half-breeds. And so it was... It was unholy and unsacred for a Jew to actually take their journey through Samaria. But the Bible is very clear that Jesus did it on purpose. The Bible says he had to go through Samaria. Now, if you understand God and you're a child of God this morning in the room, you know this for sure, that there's nothing that God has to do because he's God. He didn't have to go that route, but he had to. And you know the difference. There's a difference between doing something because you have to and having to do it because you desperately want to and need to. Big difference, isn't there? A huge difference in going to church and going to church because you can't even wait to get there to see what God is going to give you today. Huge difference. Huge difference. 
He had to go through Samaria. And the truth is that he chose to go through Samaria. Everything with God is graciously intentional, isn't it? I was just talking to Zach right before we started Praise Band. And he said that Asia boy wouldn't be here to play the drums next week. And then he gave him some names for a drummer. And that he was going to New York City to, to be with a friend. And he hardly ever misses. I don't think he misses more than twice in a whole year. But then Zach said, and as soon as he comes back on Monday, he has to go in to check his heart. Because he had a heart defect when he was adopted from Korea to his parents. And this valve that has been working for many, many years, most of his life, is not working correctly. You know, it's interesting to me that in my life and every other person's life who knows the call of God and who experiences God is going to go through something that is uncomfortable. And God wants you to go through this something uncomfortable. You see, he was with his disciples, Jesus was. He knew this would be extremely uncomfortable for them to go into this territory, and they would be talked about it for doing it, but the Bible makes it very clear that he had to do it. And so he decided when he got there to send his disciples into town, which is significant, because he had to go to Jacob's well. Years prior to this, a well was built there by Jacob and his son Joseph, who you remember the story, was down in Egypt and actually rescued his family during the time of the famine. Joseph, the one that they didn't like, the man of, had the coat of many colors, his body was taken from Egypt then and brought to this place and a couple hundred feet to the east of this well, Joseph was buried. It's a very significant place out in the middle of nowhere. For the woman to walk to this well in the middle of the day meant extreme heat and about a half a mile walk from this little town in Samaria called Sychar. And the scripture says, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar near the plan of Ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. See, there are so many things that stand out about it because it was the middle of the day. No one's around. The smart people had already gone to well that morning to get their water, to walk all the way back in town with it before the heat of the day struck. The women were used to going there because that's the place where they would get together and talk and gossip. The latest news would be spread. And so Jesus having to go through Samaria because he had a specific thing that he was going to do there. And he needed to do it alone. He needed to do it all alone because... He cared about one particular woman. She was valuable. She was somebody that Jesus would go after because he was not about exclusion. He was all about inclusion, actually. 
See, we live today in an age when the church is all about exclusion. This is our church. This is our body. You're intruding. You don't belong here. You're too much of a sinner. You did this. You did that. I saw this all my life growing up in a Baptist church that was very legalistic. And legalism is inbred in you then. So you're absolutely positive that to defend what you believe, you must exclude people from your life. Instead of taking the approach that some of my friends here take, specifically like Ed, who all of his friends know that he's changed but he's still their friend. He's inclusive, not exclusive. Do you understand this? God wants us to reach out to the people who nobody wants to be around. He knew that this woman was coming alone because he's God. He knows when you will walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he knows. He knows when you're feeling down or depressed. He knows when you're overwhelmed. He knows when you're afraid. And so he tells his disciples, because Jesus could have made some food right there if he wanted to, but he tells his disciples, I need you guys to go into town and get some food. I'm sure they sat there and said, why would you require us to go into town? There are Samaritans. Do you know what people will say? They won't even want to sell us anything. And then we'll be eating food that God only knows who prepared it. It was a lot like me in 4-H when I was a kid. I would always ask my mom what she made because I didn't trust anybody else's food. You ever done that? It's a big buffet. And I'd always say to mom, tell me what you made because I'm not eating anybody else's food. They might be dirty. The disciples were probably arguing, but he conspicuously and purposely sent him away and sat by the well waiting. You know something this morning? God is sitting by the well waiting for you. Oh, yes, he is. And he asked a woman, because he was God, who he knew was a very dirty woman. He shouldn't be talking to a woman anyway. What would people say? And on top of it, he was going to talk to a dirty woman, defiled, unclean. There were numerous reasons why this shouldn't even be taking place because he was a man and she was a woman. Because he's a Jew and she's a Samaritan. Because he's the perfect son of God and she is sexually permissive to say the very least. But this was no ordinary well. This was no ordinary woman. And this was no ordinary water. And this was no ordinary well. This well had history. This well had very significant history for those who understand the word of God. Because Joseph and Jacob, Jacob gave this well to his own son. You'd have to go back and look at what Scripture says about that. But the thing that stands out to me more than anything else about the entire narrative of this passage is this, that God is graciously intentional. Graciously, 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 constantly, you are drifting away, and God is graciously intentional to stop and say, the reason why this is happening to you is because you are not drinking the water. 
you are getting up every day and you're trying to make it on your own. But you didn't drink an ounce of water. You're so dehydrated, biblically speaking, that you can't function, that you're angry, that you're mad, that you're moody, that you're pouting, that you're scared, all of these things because you can't function without the water of the word. It's not possible. Most of the people in this room didn't even read scripture today, nor yesterday. I knew I was preaching this message because I studied earlier in the week. And I knew I had preached it recently, but I didn't care because I knew God had something else that he wanted to say to us through this passage. And so I, I'm studying about this adulterous woman and how the church responds to gays and transsexuals and lesbians and all, all the people out there that are considered so evil they're contaminated. Why, Jesus would never have anything to do with them, and it's quite the opposite. He goes out of his way. For those who need the water. He sends his disciples away, sits down by the well, because God actually brings people home. This woman's going to walk. This woman's going to walk a half a mile with her heavy water jugs. It was her norm. We were at Woodland Mall the other night, and Josiah and I were sitting at Starbucks watching people drinking a high-calorie white, no, it wasn't chai, honey. It was white chocolate. It was so good you could, oh, you could suck the calories in. And people are going by, and I looked over, and I saw this really strange-looking family, four, two strange adults with four strange children. A nerd family, a family of nerds. You know what I'm talking about? Because some of us are in those kind of families. Just straight up nerds. And I was watching, and they were just acting so weird. And I thought to myself, they're the ones God goes after. Because they don't like themselves. Most people don't like themselves. Most people don't like themselves, and they come to church, and the church is so ridiculously judgmental. Whereas God goes to bring people home to drink the water that gives hope, that brings peace back, that makes you know that God is not interested in what you did. He's not even remotely interested. That's then. This is now. And the moment Jesus rests by the side of the well there, and the woman comes. Something is about to happen that is just ridiculously powerful. Because Jesus goes after the ones that nobody else wants. Nothing happens by chance. You see, firefighters don't go where there's not a fire burning. Firefighters go to put out the fire. Now, I don't know about you, but I could cry the whole rest of the service because... I'm so exhausted, overwhelmed, and scared all the time. It's been that way my whole life. My whole life has been, go hide somewhere. And then I worry, will I have a single friend in the world? And then I think about my mom and dying, and the only people that were at the funeral were nine men that drove all the way from Wellspring Church to Watertown, Wisconsin, 
there was not one other person besides us kids and those nine guys. And I think, I don't want to die and have nobody at my funeral. I want to be loved. Jesus knew that the woman that was coming didn't need more preaching. No, she did not. She had a cavernous thirst that had never been quenched, not with husband one, not with two, not with three, not with four, not with five. She needed to come home to Jesus, but she didn't even know what that meant. And as she sat by the well there, I will guarantee you, she wasn't seeking Christ, but he was seeking her. And I'm always reminded of this. We don't come to Christ. Christ comes to us. I know this for a fact. You will try to fill the cavernous thirst that you have inside with sports, or money, or sexual thinking, or greed, or work, or kudos from somebody else, but it'll never work. These are not, this is just not vain, repetitious garbage that I'm speaking. It's the truth. A thirst for the living water. Not the water that the world offers. It does not satisfy. When I went to the counter this morning, I was pretty sure that God has always sought me. I haven't really sought him like I should. But he's always sought me. I was reading an illustration by Philip Yancey. He said, um, I can find it. I've got too much going on. Jesus is always looking for the person who's not looking for him. I don't have much else for the screen from now on, ladies. I'm going a different way with this. We're not looking for God. He's looking for you. What you don't realize is that he always is looking for you. You will try to run away from him, but he will never stop looking for you. Because he knows you're thirsty. He is exactly like the firefighter that gets a call because there's a deadly fire in a home. See, God's grace is a lot like water. It always seeks the lowest spot. God looks for the lowest because he knows they need him the most desperately. He knows he, he is he knows that the word of God is the only thing that in that low point will help. 
He knows that in the most cavernous thirst, we'll try to man it up and say, I'm going to get through this. And then he'll say, but if you continue to have that attitude, I can't do anything for you. And you want something to change. In 41 years of ministry, I've listened to person after person say, I'm not going to become my father. I'm not going to become my mother. I'm not going to follow in that sin. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. And they ended up doing the exact thing that they didn't want because they filled the thirst with something other than Jesus Christ and God's word. And it never, ever works. I think it's so interesting that the entire conversation changes when you get to verse 16. He's first talking to her about the water and and the well and the life that he could give through it. And then he says, go call your husband and come back. What? What? Go call your husband. Come back. You know this. You know that right in the middle of something, all of a sudden, God says to you, this has nothing to do with that. It has to do with this. This right here. Go call your husband and come back. The woman is, leans back in fear and thinks, what are you talking about? Because, see, you can't replicate the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not even possible. You could preach till you're blue in the face, but you cannot replicate what only God can do through his spirit and through prayer and through the word of God. It's not possible for me or anyone else to get through to you. It has to be God, and he will always hit you in a spot, a place in the low place that you did not expect him to hit. It's when you go through the valley of the shadow of death, when you don't know what the future holds, when your heart has just been broken, when you've lived in a low place forever, when you've hidden your stuff forever and ever, that God says, I'm not going to talk to you about water right now. I'm going to talk to you about this. Where's your husband? Where's your husband? Listen to me. This might only be for one person in this room who's been hiding in secret sin for too long and you're literally devastated by it. You so want to be free. You so don't want to become your father or your mother or that drifter and you fill it with all of these things because you don't know how to deal with it. And he says, go call your husband and come back. Oh, my goodness. And there's a reason why he sent the disciples away. Because he didn't want them. It wasn't because he was afraid of what they'd think about him being with an adulterous woman. It was because he didn't want them to know about her sin because she didn't need any more condemnation. God is not about exclusion. God is about inclusion. God is not about disqualifying. God is about qualifying. I promise you, churches have it wrong. The reason why the millennials are running away is because they don't know why they feel like a homosexual. They don't know why they would want to put on women's clothes or tattoo their entire body or put those monster loops in their ears that they can... It's it's insanity. They're seeking love. They're in this room. 
There's only one thing that changes anyone, you, me, my family, anyone. It's love. I promise you, it is not hate. It's not reprimanding. It's not manning up. It's none of that stuff. That's all garbage that the church has taught incorrectly. It's not about going to counseling. It's about getting back to the water of life, the living word that changes your heart and your soul. I promise you. He wants you free of the lowest stuff in your life. And so he says, go call your husband. And the reason he exposes our sin in this way is to help us see our great need. She has to think to herself, who is this? Well, wait a second. How does he know this stuff? <gasps> We're talking about water. She's saying, you don't have anything to draw the water with. How are you going to give me water? And she's just in her routine past. She's thinking maybe it's another guy that just wants to sleep with her, and she's willing to do it. She doesn't even have any feeling. Sex, is not, sex now is just an occupation because number one, two, three, four, five didn't work out with her. She was thirsting for love, not sex. And she comes to the well, and this guy knows all about her, and she's thinking, oh, my gosh, what is going on here? I don't, I don't even know what to do. Go call your husband. He exposes her right away because in verses 1 through 15, he talks about the living water, but when you get to verses 16 through 19, he becomes a prophet. You need a prophet today. I'll just say this for the benefit of people I love. The reason Asia boy is going to have testing done on his heart is because God loves him. So do I. Don't even kid yourself. You don't go through the valley of the shadow of death if God doesn't love you. You go through it that when you're in the lowest point possible, where the water settles all the time, that you will realize you need help. You need God. You need the healer. You're thirsty. In verses 20 through 24, he becomes the Savior. And in verses 25 and 26, he becomes the Messiah. But out of the blue, this woman is like Nicodemus. She comes seeking. She comes searching for him. She doesn't even know what her destiny is going to be at the well. Listen to me, people. When this happens to us and when the Holy Spirit's working on us, we feel like packing our bag and running. But there's nowhere to run. She thought... She would get away from the women who talked behind her back all the time by not going until noon when no one was there and she could be all alone. You can't hide from God. Jesus had to go through Samaria. Thank you, God. I thank you with my eyes open right now because I'm not trying to put on a show here. I thank you that your spirit is so powerful that it finds us in our lowest estate. And it calls us out. You call us out. So in verse 15, she says, Sir, give me this water so that I'll not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. And in verse 16, right out of the clear blue, he says, The only way that I can do that is go call your husband. <gasps> what? You ever been right in the middle of something and all of a sudden God just intervenes divinely and you think, Oh my goodness, this is crazy. Casey was helping me yesterday. Bob Brown ran into a truck for us to go pick up some stuff because we needed a truck, and he was kind enough to do it. 
and we were on our way to get something, and Casey and I are talking. He's talking about his tenant and how his tenant left this week, and the place was a mess, and he and his wife, Sophia, had to clean it all out. And then he said, and I called Jamie Tresciati to talk to him because he does this hazardous waste material and all this stuff, cleanups and these things, and he called him. And as he's talking to me about Jamie, I said, we really need to pray because Jamie needs to be here to grow. He needs the living water. He and his family need to be here. And Jamie pulls up right next to us. Come, come to the water. You see, it seems like the only time that we ever cry out and need God is when there's a fire, right? When there's a fire, when there's a, a disaster in our life, when our wife leaves us, our husband leaves us, our kids go the wrong direction, one of them kills himself, something drastic happens in our life. It's the only way that it seems like we really need and cry out to God is, put me in the lowest estate, and if I have to, then I'll call a firefighter. And God says, no, I want, I, I want to talk to you. Miss adulterous woman, because I don't care what you've done. I got something for you. Oh, yeah. I've got something you. Ooh. He knows her public past. And he knows her secret present. I couldn't even possibly number the people who I've met in 41 years who are living a secret present. Well, we should kick them all out of the church. You should preach harder so that they realize what their sin is. And I can guarantee you if there's anything I've learned personally, it's this. I don't respond to more abuse. I respond to more love. We have it backwards, upside down, inside out, wrong. The reason why 50,000 kids are at the Passion Conference is because they need some passion. They don't know where to get it. They've lost the fire inside. They want everything to be convenient because they're entitled to convenience. Is it right or not? So we move from Jesus revealed in verses 1 through 15 as the living water to a prophet. He knows all about this woman. He knows all about her. And I think what was interesting is, as I look at the text, as I look at the text in verse 15, he says, she says, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty and have to come here to draw water. In verse 16, it's implied. The word here is there once again in verse 16, it's implied. And Jesus responds to her and says, Go, call your husband, and come here. Go call your husband and come here. And she thinks, the reason I come here is because I have no husband. I'd send him for water otherwise. You realize how blessed you are when you have a normal family relationship? My wife needs me, don't you, hon? I need her. She needs me. We're a happy family with a pit pat, wally wat, whatever it is. I don't know. <laughs> there is humor when you think of life, isn't there? If you don't think the devil was fighting today because somebody in this room is living in secret present, public past and secret present, and can't bear it anymore, you're sick of it. You've come into the room, you're sick of it, but you're afraid. 
You are afraid to call the firefighters. You think it's impossible. And Jesus came to sit by the well because he knew you were coming today. I don't care if there's not 500 people in the room. You're here. You are here by God's divine appointment because he knows all about you and he gets you alone to drink the living water which will cause you not to thirst anymore. Put away the bottle. Put away the stupid cigarettes. Put away the weed. Put away the porn. Put away the garbage greed. Put away the bad attitude. Put away the anger. Put away the exhaustion. He says, come and drink. You that are thirsty, come and drink because I got something for you. It'll cause you to thirst no more. And she just thought, oh, what I need. I need whatever you have. I really do. Jesus already knew what she needed. Verse 18, he says, the one you now have is not your husband. Yeah, he said to her, can you back that up? The one that you now have. She said, I have no husband. <laughs> well, it was the truth. I have no husband. Please don't remind me of my failure. I have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands. And the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. See, what I have to really look at it and think, wow, that's pretty awesome. God always looks for something good with you to get you to understand how much he loves you. He said, well, at least you're being honest with me, ma'am, that you've had five different husbands and now you're living in immoral sin. I will guarantee you this. I'm not trying to be gross or dirty. Sex to her meant nothing. Zero, nilch, nada, zero, zero, zero. It meant nothing. She wanted love. You want love. I want love. Yes. You have five husbands and you're living immorally right now just to feed yourself. You're trying to feed your addictive need for love, but it's not working. Sir, the woman said, I could see that you're a prophet. I have never met you before in my entire life. You're a prophet. How did you know all these things about me? Because God knows everything about me. And guess what? He looks for something good. He doesn't look to disqualify. He's not about exclusion. He's about inclusion. He wants you to stay the course. I told all the people that we're helping set up in here today, he's after you. You cannot escape the call of God. You can't run from God. You're in the room today because you've been running, but not for God. You've been running away from God. And then she went on to say, well, our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. I, I find it so interesting. She tries to change the subject. Isn't that how we do it? We're being ex the, the truth is being exposed in us, and right now I'll guarantee you, in a second you know what your sin is, that cavernous thirst sin. You know what it is. I don't have to go around and have you pointed out. You already deal with it every day. Your public past and your secret present is there every day, and you've done a great job of faking it, but now Jesus has exposed it. 
We are in dangerous ground here. You know what God wants more than anything? He wants this morning for somebody to give up the secret present because God loves them and start trusting God and his word to give you power and victory and joy and life, 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 right? We get in our car. Ethan spent the night last night, and the boys are late taking their shower, and I'm saying, we got to get going. we got to get home. We're, we're going to be late for praise, man. We get in the car, and Becky forgot something, and she had to go back in, and I pushed the garage door, and it wouldn't go down. It went down and up and down and up and up and down and up and down. I said, Josiah, get out and go try to fix it. And so he gets out, and it doesn't work and comes off the track, and finally I just held the button until it stayed down. And I just said this to my wife and the kids, I'm not giving in. Somebody in the room needs this today. I'm not giving in. You're trying to change the subject. You're trying to say, no, it's my wife that needs to change. No, it's you. You're trying to say, my husband needs to change. And he says, no, it's you. You're trying to say, I can't change because I've lived this way my whole life. No, you need to change. We went to get Sam, Aaron's wife, She's like our, our daughter to get her a present the other night at H&M at the mall. And when we stepped up into the line, I, I looked at Becky and said, all the male salespeople here are transvestites. They're all trying to be a woman. L listen, we, we can approach this one of two ways. We can love on them and try to help them with their cavernous thirst for love or we can encourage them to, to hide. Are you with me? Are you, on, are, are you listening at all today? I know this isn't a glory hallelujah thing because it'll sound like you're living in sin if you do that. Because <laughs> that's kind of how it works, isn't it? She, so Jesus comes to her because she tries to divert his attention from, she's saying, you must be a prophet. How would you know these things about me? Do you know how many people come to me and say you were talking about me today? You know how many times that happens in the church with other pastors? People come and say, I know you were talking about me. I wasn't even moving lest my wife think I'm guilty of something. You know, I wasn't even about to move because my husband will think I'm guilty. I'm not guilty. He's just a pig. Blah, blah, blah. This is how it goes, you know. And so Jesus comes right back to her and says, woman, believe me. A time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Let's not get sidetracked. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. He gets right back on target. This is not about prophetic things. I am simply here, went out of the way to get here because I only care about you. And she, get ready to be blown away. She's looking and thinking, I can't even divert his attention. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to be your pastor no matter what. I'm going to tell you the truth no matter what. I'm going to tell you what God tells me to tell you no matter what. That's love. It might hurt you. It might offend you. But you will get over it when you realize he only wants me to drink something that will not cause me to be bitter or thirsty again. It's like when they gave Jesus the bitter gall, the bitter drink on the cross to drink when he was so thirsty. We want to feed people's thirst with hatred, and it doesn't work. Love wins. Are you with me? We must change. We move into our building in three weeks, and Pam Bartlett was there cleaning a little bit yesterday, and she came to me and said, this is going to take a supernatural miracle. I looked at her, and I thought, of course. 
there are five reasons why it'll work. Nick, Aaron, Zach, Ed, and me. You're expecting some supernatural miracle. You are the miracle. Wait, listen. You are the miracle. Change, he said to this woman. You're thirsting. You only are thirsting because you keep feeding the thirst with the wrong water. It's bitter water. Please listen to me. Get rid of the bitter water. Drink from the word of God. Put your sin in the past because God does and have victory. <sighs> wow. She tries to div divert his attention. The, the interest Jesus had in here was not about her adultery. He was, secondly, wasn't interested in condemning her. And thirdly, he didn't want to rehearse the details. We want to rehearse the details and say, but you didn't grow up in the home that I grew up. I was highly allergic to peanuts and broke into hives all the time. And you don't know what it was like when my parents would taunt me with peanut butter cookies in front of me and stuff. And I'm like, you laugh at that. It is like me saying, the reason why I am is because I have a right because I came out of a dysfunctional home. And Jesus says, the reason why you are what you are is because when you drink at the well that doesn't go dry of living water, you become something that you were meant to be instead of living in something that you should never have been. Bitter and angry and hateful. Don't practice those patterns anymore. Patterns of pouting, patterns of, I don't know, could be anything. You know what I'm saying is true. He wasn't there to rehearse her sin. He only brought up her adultery to expose her thirst. I could just, I could just recite some words off. And you'll know what I'm talking about. Alcohol, cigarettes, porn, lust, greed, athletics, clothes, cars, boats, houses, greed, anger, sexual thinking, deviant practices, feeling sorry for yourself, overworking, I could go on and on. And the reason why I say those things is because Jesus would say them and say, you don't need to live in that anymore. Get free. There's something in the water. There's something in the water. There's something in the water. I need to preach until the day I die. Not because I'm a good preacher because I break. I break. The world and the church tries to break you, but it doesn't work. When the world and the church come against you and make you feel less loved, you want to run. But when God comes to you with the living water and he goes out of his way to do it, you get joy. You get peace. 
I have to preach because I'm preaching to me, not you, me. You need him. I need him. I need the firefighter of all firefighters, Jesus. Only his water will help you to overcome the past, the pain, the hurt, and all of that. No woman can go through sexual relationships with six men without either starting desperately to be thirsty or ending desperately thirsty. What happened with these six relationships, five marriages and living with a man? Either she can't find in a man what she craves, and so she moves from one to the other, desperately believing men are the water she is thirsty for, or they can't find what they're craving in her, and one after another, they drop her. In either case, she's left with a deep, deep emptiness and sinfulness that is so painful and so rebellious that she, she seals it up, and there's no entrance to her heart at all. It is locked in darkness. And that's what Jesus knows. You know what he does? He gets surgically, surgically, excuse me, aggressive and relentless in his love. He's not like me and not like you, where we put up walls and just block out the hurt. He says, no, I'm not going to let you hurt anymore. I'm not going to let you hurt anymore. I'm doing surgery on you. I got something in this water that'll make you never thirst again if you just drink this water. Stop drinking the water of the past. It doesn't work. You're thirsty, but you're quenching it with the wrong thing. We're learning something about Jesus, and we're learning about ourselves. He's aggressive. He didn't care if he had to go out of the way. He didn't care what people would say about him. He was determined to do it. He wasn't there to embarrass anyone. He was there to get her to understand that he cared about her, 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 this woman who thought no one cared about her, who flaunted herself because she was worried whether she'd have enough money to go on. How could she eat? Where would she live? She had to sell her body. Are you moving in faith or are you moving in frustration? There's a difference between the confident movement of faith and the craving movement of frustration. There's a difference between the jumping from one thing to the next out of frustration and the moving purposely out of faith. I will say this. God's always testing us to see if we believe that he is supernaturally powerful, isn't he? When people say to me, there's no way we could move in that building in three weeks. Yes, there is. Reckless devotion to him and faith and belief that he does what no man could imagine being done. It's the history of our church, is it not? 
It's the history of this church. Don't argue with where God has taken you. Just do what he's telling you to do, and you'll, you'll have joy. You'll have peace. You'll have things that you could get no other way. I think Jesus is great at irony. Verse 17 through 18, the woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right, for you've had five husbands. She's using the truth to hide something. It's interesting how we use the truth to hide our devious behavior. Oh, I know God is powerful, but. Well, I know, Pastor, that God loves me, but. And it's, it's so absolutely incredible to look how the whole thing ends. And I, I plastered this together at the end of the day, morning this morning. She, because the scripture says, but the hour is coming and there's, is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, but for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. And the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to him, he's here. I am the one speaking to you. Stop waiting for something to happen in the future. It's happening right this moment. Deliverance is happening right this moment. It is. Right this second, it's happening. And you know what happened as a result of it? She ran into town. And the scripture is powerful. Because i got to end here. Hang on. I can't even get my notes open. She ran into town, literally, and told every, every, everyone in town, and it says in verse 39, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. She said, he told me everything I ever did. And what's not written is this. And he loved me anyway. He told me everything I ever did. And he loved me anyway. You know what true friendship and love is? That you always overcome any obstacles and love the person anyway. Correct? You love them anyway. And it says, and because of these, of his words, many more became believers. And they said to the woman, we, are, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man truly is a savior of the world. If God has really changed you, it'll be so miraculous that others will come to Christ. It'll spread like crazy, won't it? It'll spread like crazy. You won't be able to hold it inside. You'll have such joy inside. The alcohol is gone. The garbage is gone. The, the trash thinking is gone. The materialism is gone. The desire for the flesh is, is dissipating. And you now are saying, my past does not matter. What matters is that I am drinking from the living water, and my dif my, the difference is my future will be different. For the king 
The praise band's coming right now. I, um, maybe we don't need everybody. Because, because, yeah, because I need a mic. Because I want to ask a serious question this morning. Let's just... What secret baggage needs to go? Jesus is trying to be gracious to you and let you off the hook. That's how he always is. But you're tired of it. You're tired of living in the past. You're tired of it dominating your life and you feeling hopeless. And God says, I want you to be free. Drink of this water. Come to the water. You who are thirsting, right? Come to the water of life. This is what you really want. You don't want, you don't want to be addicted to some substance or something that is not going to you, do you any good anyway, correct? You want to be changed. Well, I don't like to sing anymore. I mean, I love singing, but I'm old and my voice cracks a lot, but I felt like I need to sing this this morning. We need to be overwhelmed by the grace of God. You understand that? I want you to pray with me right now in the name of Jesus and all of your authority, Father. We surrender to you this morning. We want victory and deliverance. We know that you are after us. We do not find you. You find us.